have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, aloha and welcome again to the believer's journey. It's so nice to have you back and so nice to be here. And um, well, today we're going to have a special show. We've done this once before. We call it uh, Questions on the Fly. This is going to be Questions on the Fly too. And what it is is that I get several questions uh, to our, to whether it be um, YouTube or Facebook or email and people ask questions. And for some of these questions, I'll answer them back and some of these questions, I'll bring them here. And this time I've actually have answered some of these questions to the person directly and then Right now, I'll also be asking some of these questions as they come. My moderator and guest today is the lovely Susan Cutting. Say hello, Susan. Hello, everybody. This is her second time on the show here, and this is my lovely wife. And um, anyway, before we go further, um, and just before we get into anything else, I want to mention um, uh, one of our sponsors who makes our, uh, actually has given us some mask and here's one of them i thought it's a little bit different than the other and it it's uh really nice we um we enjoy it has our logo on there and and so forth i want to mention our uh sponsors that uh pay attention to our sponsors they're really neat people if you go to our website it's uh the believe www.thebelieversjourney.net you'll see on the right hand side a list of our sponsors we have oh um <clears throat> Guerrero Law, we have Guerrero CPA, we have High Tech Discount Travel, and we have, um, there's a health insurance company that's on there too, and um, I apologize not knowing the name, they've changed names from Texas Family Health Insurance to um, a different name, and also we have, uh, I believe it is, Trade Show Displays, and Trade Show Displays is the ones who are making the masks for us. Anyway, on our website, we also have a variety of things you can look at and know who we are. We have our videos on the website. We have a, a page of books that I've uh, recommended that if you want to purchase, just click on the book. It probably takes you to Amazon, and it may have that particular book. It may have the author of several more of the type of books they write. I have uh, writers such as Chuck Swindoll, Max Licato, uh, Walter Kaiser, and Lon Ekdahl or just some of the people that are, I recommend books for. And if you know of any books that you like, uh, let me know about them, and I'll gladly look at them. And if I find them worthy, I'll go ahead and put them on my site. I make no money out of this. I just want you to be able to find some quality reading and growth for your uh, walk with Jesus and your journey. Also on our website, I have a bio page about myself, and we have... Uh, a page for the missionaries that we support in Moldova, uh, the Republic of Moldova. So take a take a look at our website. I think it, you'll like it. We also are on YouTube, and YouTube, if you go there and type in the Believer's Journey, and you'll see our little logo. It's the, the round circle with a foot in it. It says TBJ on it, and click on there. We've got several videos. We do them every week. And I have hour-long ones, and I have 8-minute ones and 20-minute ones. And so, therefore, you'll get a, a choice of the video. And on top of that, if you do me a favor and click on subscribe, 
Uh, it helps us to maintain a high level. Right now, we're in the top one or two positions when you type in our name, and it helps us to maintain that level. Also, it helps you if you want to watch more videos. It goes in a little uh, log for your um, folder, and so you can get there when you open up uh, YouTube and go right to them. We're also on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, obviously, this is being uh, shown live on Facebook Live. So, anyway, it's been such a pleasure. I, need, I also want to tell you how we're doing in the show. I know some of you support the show. They, um, many of you watch the show. And in the last few months, we've had about an average of 8,000 to 9,000 people that actually watch the show in its complete entirety. And that's whether we're doing an hour show or a 20-minute show. And then we have another about 17,000 that watch part of the show. I don't know if it's 30% of it or 10% of it, you know, 15 minutes, but uh, it's not the entire thing. So collectively, over 26,000 people uh, are watching the show in some manner or form. I noticed when I looked up last night, um, we had over 1,100 people in the Philippines watch our last uh, program, and they watched the entire thing. I thought that's pretty remarkable. We're actually traveling all over the world with this program, and uh, it looks like people are really needing Jesus, and people are needing to know the Word. And I feel so blessed and honored that Jesus would allow me to have this program to reach out to the world. Anyway, um, so let's go on. I want to introduce Susan again. Susan... Um, She's my wife, so I know her kind of well, uh, pretty good. And um, she has her own little business, and uh, it's called High Tech Flags and Advertising. And uh, tell us about your business. Uh, High Tech Flags and Advertising was founded in 1987 by my father. Uh, as a promotional products business with the niche market in San Antonio for residential apartment communities. And then when he retired, Alan and I took over the business, and we expanded to uh, sell all across the United States, Canada, and internationally through our website. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, we sell all different types of products, from flags to banners, uh, promotional products, trade show, display, and event items. If it's something that you can put a logo on it, we do it. For our local customers, we also do a lot of apparel, screen-printed and embroidered uh, shirts, T-shirts, and so forth. Uh, we also do a lot of business supplies, business cards, flyers, postcards. So anyone who needs something for their marketing, uh, we can help them with, and uh, we enjoy what we do. Okay. Well, thank you. Now, those of you who are just wondering, Susan is not 15 years younger than me. Uh, though when I met her, I really thought she was 10 years younger than me, and uh, I was surprised when she wasn't, so uh, don't let the white hair fool you here. I'm younger than I act, or am I, yeah, I act younger than I am. Maybe that's the way it is. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> anyway, um, so I want to get started with our show here, and um, we have a, a number of questions that have come in, so I'm going to let Susan uh, start reading the questions and one by one, and I'll attempt to answer them. Uh, the first question is something that is a very popular question that's always on the mind of people who are Christians, especially even new believers. 
the question, Alan, is are we in the end times? How do we know if it is or when it will start? Okay. So uh, the question is really interesting because you have people who are uh, scholars, who are commentators, who people in the churches believe that the end times started at the time of Jesus. Okay, so we'll start there. Jesus made some prophecies, prophecies about the uh, Jews being uh, dispersed around the earth. He made a prophecy about the uh, temple being destroyed and so forth. And so some people believe that the end times began with this. I know that's not what you're asking, but I want to make that clear that there there is a, the idea that the end times began there. However, in how I view it, the end times for me and what I believe is when um, Israel became a, a nation back in 1948. And what it is is that there was about 2,500 prophecies about the end times. Uh, up until that period of time, about 2,000 of them have been, um, all the prophecies have been fulfilled. So from the time that Israel came back to, or Jews came back to Israel, we had about 500 prophecies left. One of them was that fact that Israel would be reborn. And it talks about that in Isaiah. Then it talks about, you know, another prophecy is that Jews will be coming back from all over the world because they were scattered. There's another prophecy that's been fulfilled. And uh, you have the tensions uh, all around Israel. And you have that today and uh, so forth. So I believe we are in the end times. Now, a lot of people believe the end times uh, will begin at the seven-year tribulation, okay? Um, Jesus says something really interesting in Matthew chapter 24. He said basically that when they were asked about, he was asked about the end times, and he says, when you see things happen, you know, know, know what to expect. And one of the things he said was that when to Israel, when the Jews come back to Israel, when the time to gather and become a nation again, basically, uh, comes back, that he would return. That generation that sees that will not end by the time he returns, okay? So one of the discussions that people have is how long is a generation? You have different ideas. A generation could be 70 years. It could be 80 years. It could be 100 years. It could be 120 years, Okay, so let's let's go with 70. Okay, so from 1948 till today is 72 years. So we've already passed 70 years. However, if we were to go all the way to 120, we're already more than halfway there. So we don't know what the generation is. All we do know is when Jesus says, when you look at the olive tree and how it unfolds, okay, and the leaf unfolds and so forth, which is a uh, the idea of what Israel is, then you'll know the time is right. And I think that as we see the uh, earth having more earthquakes and, and things like this all over the world, and you have more intensity, and not only earthquakes, but you have the seas. It talks about the seas raging. And now we have so many hurricanes, it's bypassing our alphabet. you know, And they're more intense, and, and there are more of them and uh, so forth. And I think and we have a lot of tsunamis. So as you look at these things going on, Jesus says these are the beginnings of what we see before he returns. 
So the end days, the end times, I believe we're in them today. Um, what was the second part of that question? How do we know if it is or when it will start? Okay. One thing that if people are looking at the seven-year tribulation, I, I want to say this, that um, the tribulation does not begin because of the rapture. The Bible never says this, never teaches this. Okay. So what starts the seven years? Now, if you're thinking that the end times begin at the seven years, let me give you the information. The seven years begins with a treaty that Israel is going to have. This treaty is going to, is going to come right after some kind of conflict that Israel is going to have. So we don't know when this conflict is, and we don't know when the treaty is, and we don't know what the treaty is supposed to be or who it's with. But when it comes, that is supposed to kick off those seven years. Okay? Um, one of the problems and one of the things that I disagree with uh, is that when we talk about the end times, um, we, we've seen these charts of from year one or zero all the way to seven. We see the, the seals are in there, the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And we see the, the <clears throat> Antichrist and different things in there. I tend to disagree with this chart. Um, and I believe that for me, I think we're already, we're already seeing the evidence of the, seven, of the four horsemen. We're already seeing, you know, one of the things that Jesus says is that there'll be wars and rumors of wars. The, well, the first horseman, uh, actually, the first one actually says there's going to be uh, a rider who's got a crown and a bow. And so a lot of people tend to say this is the Antichrist. I kind of disagree with that because it says the Antichrist is supposed to have 42 months of reign. Well, if the Antichrist is going to reign predominantly in the second half of those you know, those seven years, that's 42 months. Well, he can't reign the whole seven years, so he cannot be in that first horse. I really believe when we're talking about deception of the church, we're talking about deception of the church. So when we talk about different things going on inside the church that are totally deception, that's drawing people away from Jesus, away from God, I think this is what we're talking about with the first horse. We're already seeing this evident. When we talk about pestilence, and pestilence are diseases and viruses and so forth that have no cure. Now, the difference between some of this, because we've seen uh, pestilence, we've seen uh, problems within the church, we've seen famine, we've seen death all through the centuries. But what's different now is, is that it's global. And when we look at the problems Years ago, when you had a war, you had a war between one country or another. Now you're having wars that are, that are worldwide. Or now you're having what this one horse says, it takes peace from the world. This isn't necessarily wars between countries like China and Russia or United States and Mexico or whatever it might be. This is within the people taking peace from the world. We're actually seeing this today. Uh, my wife and I were in um, Egypt and they were, just before we went there, they were all rioting and, and all kinds of conflict. And our wonderful news media was saying that, you know, they're hating Americans. And uh, I guess you remember that. Yeah. And so when we got there, we asked them, is it that you guys hate America? They said, no, we love America. I said, well, why all the rioting? We hate our president. So we're rioting against the, 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 our government. 
And what was happening is that they were being tortured, they were put into jail, and they were being put to death. Then you have the Syrians all of a sudden all over the, going over the country. Now we have other kinds of riots within Germany and France and England and you know up in the Scandinavian countries. And uh, you have Hong Kong is one of the most recent ones, all the rioting there. And you have the United States and all the rioting and, and looting there. So this peace taking from the earth, I believe, isn't a centralized problem. It's a global problem because this is what we're going to look at when we're talking about the tribulation. And when you look at all the other issues, you know, with the famine or, or pestilence, I mean, look at the coronavirus. It's worldwide. Well, look at the virus, you know, we had during Obama's. Was that H1N1 or something like that? That was worldwide. You know, so we're looking at more and more worldwide problems. And another thing is that these horses... Horsemen, one seems to follow the next because of the one before it, and it seems to continue. It's not like it's one big bash. So this is my take on it. Now, understand, many people, I know this is a long, long answer, but I've been asked this question so many times that I feel like I've answered it. But one of the things we need to understand is that um, you're going to have so many different takes and so many different belief systems on these prophecies that I can't tell you that I'm absolutely, totally, 100% right. All I can tell you is that this is what I've studied. This is what I believe. I've looked at the other issues, the other people with their prophecies, and there are people that disagree right and left and all over. And it's kind of hard to, to just jump on one bandwagon and believe, oh, this is good. This is it because it feels good. It's better that you study the scriptures and put it together with what really matches. And I think that if we read a book that shows us what it might be and we read people who've taken from that book who might be pastors who believe that, doesn't necessarily mean it's absolutely correct. And the thing that Jesus taught, said was, in the end days, it'll be like the days of Noah. Okay, and I was always taught that the days of Noah, it was all because it was wicked. I'm looking for wickedness. But what Jesus continued to say was that people were drinking and marrying and have, going on with life. In other words, they were not paying attention to the fact that the flood was going to come and that the ark was being built. And the floods came upon them suddenly without them realizing what was happening. And Jesus said that the end days, when he returns, it's going to come on like those days. People aren't paying attention today. Why? Because we've been told so many earthquakes have happened. Oh, the end times are coming. Oh, Jesus is coming. And then we've all of a sudden through all these years now, we've become hard skinned, if you will, where, yeah, I've heard that before. Well, yeah, he, we all heard this. It'll be someday in the future. And so we've become blinded to the fact that the end days may be right here upon us. That's it. Okay. <laughs> it's a long answer. <laughs> All right. You ready for the next question? Yep. You said that to love one another is to be a servant to one another. Please explain. I was always taught that we are to serve God slash Jesus. Where does the Bible say that God slash Jesus serves us? Well, Jesus said in Matthew I believe it's chapter 20 that he came to, to serve and not to, I mean, to be served and not, I'm sorry, he came to serve and not be served. And he teaches us to love one another. The word love, agapeo, or what a lot of people understand it to be is agape, it means to 
to act upon something, it's to, to act with your will, to do something for someone else, for, you know, without the expectation of return. You can literally say that that is being a servant because I'm giving to you what you need to be given to without expectation of return. I give it to you faithfully. I give it to you in servanthood. And I believe servanthood has a lot to do with serving one another. And so when Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served, you know, I think that he, he set the example. And when he was in the upper room and he washed the disciples' feet, he basically showed them the idea of servanthood from a master's point of view. Okay. In fact, he told the husbands to love your wives. Paul said, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. And when we talk about that, Jesus washed their feet. So he showed servanthood to the church. And Paul's saying, we need to do the same with our spouses. So just because you're the head of a church or you're head of the home or you're head of something doesn't mean you're to be served. Because Jesus came and said, I am, he basically is the head, but he came to serve. I believe that's also shown in the Old Testament, too. I think God shows servanthood to his people. Well, I think there's multiple uh, scriptures in the Bible that if people search the scripture just under that keyword love, they're going to find it's throughout all scripture, Old and New Testament, and different examples of how we love one another. Well, yeah, just in 1 John um, 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John, it says we know love by this, that we give our lives for our brethren. We lay down our lives. Well, that's what love is. Well, that's called servanthood. I mean, when we lay down our life for one another, we're serving one another. So, yeah, you're right. It's all over the Bible. Okay, you ready for another question? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, this question says, Our church doesn't teach a lot about the Holy Spirit. In fact, nothing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Our pastor told me that the gifts of the Spirit were only used by the first century church and they no longer exist today. You did two shows on the Holy Spirit, which included the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm very confused and would like to know the truth about this topic and what to believe. You know, when I was... Um a teenager when I just started when I became a Christian I was 16 I was about 17 when I asked the question about the Holy Spirit also I attended a Nazarene church and they talked a lot about the Holy Spirit but they didn't really talk a lot about the gifts so when I asked a pastor there he was actually the youth pastor at the time uh, about the gifts and he says he said the same thing that there was only for the first century church what I'm realizing is that I think a lot of people don't understand the gifts or they've been taught something that doesn't that conflicts with their own self that that they have to pass it off with well that's not for today and i really believe well first off before i say that the bible doesn't teach that the gifts were only of for the apostles or were only for the first century church it never says that never teaches that the gifts and if you watch my teachings on the holy spirit there's two i have two uh, like the question said, I have two uh, hours that are taught on the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, specific about things. I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because it says so in the Bible, in both 
in all Corinthians and in Romans and in, in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, Romans, I think it was 12, and Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the gifts and the purpose of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts is not to be all powerful. is isn't, isn't all about, you know, the fact that I'm, I am all that because I'm the preacher or I am the prophet or I am the person who does healings. The purpose of the gifts is to honor Jesus. Number one and foremost is to be honoring to Jesus. Number two is to honor the church, uplift the church, and build the church so that we are one in unity and in together we are doing what? Honoring Jesus. And the way to do that is for us to have the dispersed and different gifts that we have to build one another up, to support the church. I mean, we have gifts in there. Um, okay, so, and, and I want to say that uh, having a gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that just because you're, you're a good athlete, God gave you the gift to be an athlete. That's not what we're talking about. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are primarily those things that help us build the body of Christ, okay? Strengthen the body of Christ, to strengthen that relationship and honor Jesus. So um, I don't believe you can go out there and take a test about your talents and believe that you are, that, that is your gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if I were to um, go from the beginning when I was young, I never ever believed I would be a teacher, I never went to school to be a teacher. I didn't know how to teach, and I would probably fumble over every little thing I would say. I was kind of shy um, in, in some respects. My pastor uh, that I grew up with, Lon Ekdahl, I mean, he was an introvert, okay? Today, you wouldn't know that at all. You'd think he, he's just totally extroverted, you know, and so forth. But he has a gift of preaching. He's the gift of a pastor, and, and it's obvious. He's a gift of counseling. And you can see these things, but it wasn't because we were born with this or we had this great talent to be these things. It's because somewhere along the way, as a believer, the Holy Spirit gave us that gift so that we can use that gift to build the body up to honor Jesus. And it's very clear in the scriptures. And if you, if you need to, I'd watch those two hours again because I really am specific about the gifts. Now, talking about the gifts, too, I pull in not just about the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, there's several of them. It's not only in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They're in the other uh, books as well that I just mentioned. But also, I, I bring about in my teaching about the fruit of the Spirit because I really, truly believe the fruit of the Spirit you know, when we talk about that fruit, which builds a life in us that is mature, okay, and it's the characteristics of God built within us and we're growing in that, we can take the gift of the Spirit and put them together, and that's what grows that gift. I was talking to a pastor once, and he was telling me how he believed that speaking in tongues gives you power, and it's the power of speaking in tongues that's so great. And I thought, and I said to him, I said, well, this is totally untrue. I said, what well, real power, you know, in the Holy Spirit is being submissive to God. It's, it's totally surrendering your life to him. And that's what really gives you true power. So um, the teaches that we have the gifts today. I know people who have gifts, obvious gifts. Um, we had a, a man here on our show, Ray Jones, and he's obviously has the gift of teaching. He has the gift of evangelism. Okay. Uh, there are people that have been on my show that have 
Ken Ken Freeman has an obvious gift evangelism, you know, and it, it's it's evident. So God uses these gifts because the church is still alive today. The church is still growing today, and the church still needs one another today. And we need each other to have those gifts so that we can build one another up and support one another. Well, I think sometimes it takes a while for people to discern what their gifts are. As an example, uh, Pastor Robert Emmett, in the beginning of his ministry, thought evangelism and going out into the mission field was a gift, but it turned out that his real gift was in teaching. And so when he started Community Bible Church over 25 years ago, you know, that ministry thrived because that was what his true gift was. So in the beginning, sometimes people aren't 100% sure where their gift is, but it becomes clearer as their work continues. And then in regard to you brought up about speaking in tongues as a gift of the Holy Spirit, there are some people who don't understand that. I'm sure there's a lot of confusion. And uh, to be clear, I attended a church once where they taught you how to speak in tongues and required you to speak in tongues. So uh, in my view, that approach is not showing it as a true gift but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist yeah and i and i think that a lot of people get hung up on like speaking in tongues or the prophecy or so forth those gifts and i think that we need to get away from being hung up on that because there are so many other gifts and paul says you know not everybody's going to have be a teacher not everybody's going to be speaking in tongues not everybody's going to be interpreting not everybody's going to be a teacher and so forth so we all can't be the same we have our different gifts, and that's what brings us together in unity is because we all do different things. We need people who, are, who are, have the gift of uh, hospitality or, or administrations or teaching or healing. And so I think it's really important that we understand that, and God uses that to do this. Now, the gift of a, uh, to be an apostle, okay, is really interesting because a lot of times today I've, I've been reading that uh, – because the church has changed so much, a lot of people, a lot of your commentaries are mentioning that the apostleship gift is really uh, connected to missionaries. Because the apostle is one who's called out. And so and it makes sense. It could be very well be that a missionary is, is actually has the gift of being an apostle. Well, I see with the missionaries that we work with in Moldova that you see a lot of gifts within that group for administration or hospitality or for leading different types of ministries, such as uh, with Radu and Luda, they do family ministry. And as a couple, they each have their own separate gifts that work together for their ministry. So uh, God really provides what's necessary for all of us in his kingdom work. Yeah, and even that, and um, uh, like, for example, with Radu, um, I believe Radu has a gift of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, when you're in his home, he gets in trouble with his wife. He feels like, you know, I'm surely not very wise because I obviously did something really stupid. But that's not the point of the gift. And so, um, you know, we need to look at it at the point of why do we have the gifts in the first place? 
And if you don't know what your gift is, just ask the Lord, you know, Holy Spirit, what is the gift you have me? And if you feel like a draw to do things, to work your talents, we talked about talents and gifts with um, uh, Diane Talbert. We talked about the church under the bridge. You know, they need people down there to help out. People have talents. And sometimes a talent just may well be a gift. Sometimes it's not. So in, in that respect, uh, we need to look at that. But every person, every believer, I should say, has a gift of the Holy Spirit because we, he, the body needs you and needs you to be a part of it. If all you're doing is going to a church service on Sunday and coming home um, and you're not doing anything other than that, then you're missing out on what the, the body of Christ really is. And back to the question where they were asking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, how does that tie in? Well, did they ask about the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, it said... Uh, the person who asked the question said you did two shows on the Holy Spirit, which included the fruit and the gifts, and you've concentrated more on answering about the gifts. Yeah, well, and so basically um, the fruit of the Spirit is, are the characteristics of God because you have your peace and love and joy and kindness and goodness and so forth and so on, faithfulness. Those are the attributes of God. Those are the very things that we need to take on to become like God, to become like Jesus to to emphasize the fact that my moral compass um, is in, in line with God, in line with Jesus. And as my moral compass is, is there, okay, with the fruit of the Spirit, which are the characteristics of God, then when we look at our gift, our gift will be used in a much better fashion than someone who is who's not really living the point where they're they're seeking the fruit of the spirit to be like God. There, it's it could be immature. Uh, it could be uh, done falsely. One of the things I do as a teacher uh, of the Bible, I always, always, always ask the Holy Spirit to teach through me. It's not because I am a great teacher. It's because the Holy Spirit speaks through me, and I allow that. And the other thing is the fact that you know whenever um, whenever I talk about teaching, I always recognize the fact that it's not because I am a great orator or speaker or teacher or whatever. It's because my my whole concept is that the Holy Spirit has given me this gift and it's really him who speaks through me. And so uh, those people who are have the ego where he says, I am a great orator, I'm a great teacher, I'm a great preacher, I'm a great healer, therefore pay me all kinds of money or do all these great things or whatever it might be, then we've got a problem because now the very fruit of the Spirit, the very characteristics of God are being emptied out from you because you're living in pride. You're living in areas that are not part of that those characteristics. And I think that's what suffers in the, in the gift area. Okay, um, next question that we have is a person who has watched the show and said, you have mentioned several times how important it is to read the Old Testament. If we are in the New Testament church, isn't it more important we read and follow the New Testament? <laughs> okay, so the Bible is the Bible is the Bible. If all we did was read the New Testament, it would have gaps and holes and problems and contradictions, and it wouldn't make sense. And the reason why is because the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. They go together. They go as one. Okay, There are, there are not only prophecies about the Messiah, which 
Jesus fulfill, is going to be fulfilling this continually until he returns. You know, there are other things that we see that God is, and, and the questions are answered of life. The Old Testament teaches us to how to live. It has the stories. It has the, the way that people serve God, turn away from God, fall from grace, fall from things, and how God is there to lift them up, to rebuke them, to help them, to do these different things, to, to send people to strengthen. So the Old Testament gives us the idea of how to live because we're watching and looking at people like we are today, living a certain way, failing, and how God is there to pick them up and to do this. We don't find a lot of that in the New Testament. We find most of that in the Old Testament. And actually, we think talk about grace. I mean, a lot of people say, well, the New Testament is the book of grace or the time of grace. Actually, there's more teaching about grace in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. So we can't really separate the two. And even Jesus said, I didn't come to, to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so when you, when you bring it together and understand that God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is a God now as, as we look at a, a relationship, we go in the Old Testament. If you read it properly, you'll see that God is a God of relationship in the Old Testament. So it hasn't changed. When we're taught that it's not about relationship in the Old Testament, it's all about rules and regulations, we're being taught incorrectly. Because it's God is the same and it's taught the same. And we perverted, many people have perverted the Old Testament, perverted the laws in what they really are. And we need to come back and see it. It comes together without conflict, without contradiction. Well, the way I look at the Old Testament is a foundation for the New Testament. And it puts the New Testament into context. And so you can go back and see how God worked in the Old Testament with his people, the mistakes they made and what they learned. And then when he came to earth as Jesus during the New Testament times, uh, you could see how everything related and worked together. Yeah. I mean, much of the, when we talked about the end times, a lot of the scriptures are in the Old Testament. I mean, that's what puts it all together is the Old Testament with Revelation and, and Thessalonians and Matthew. I mean, it's, we have all this together. I think there are a lot of denominations or churches that focus on the New Testament and they don't teach much about the Old Testament. So those questions go unanswered for a lot of people. Yeah. So, Are we ready for another question? We are. On your show, Becoming Like Jesus, it sounds a little blasphemous to me. I thought we were supposed to obey the scriptures and not become a god. Okay, so this is one I've, I've answered directly to that person. I remember this. And I, I really, if I did not get across the idea of what I meant, because I think um, I did a six-series uh, study on, on becoming like Jesus. Um, it's not that we become God. It definitely is not that we become God. I, I thought I was specific in my teaching, but we could become like him in his moral character. God is holy, and God says to us, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, to be holy because he is holy. Okay? So if we're going to, and in, and in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says to be imitators of God. So if we're actually going to look at this, we need to become like God in moral character. Okay? Um, 
and, and that's basically what I've taught. It's not that we become a god, so we become a ruler. We walk around with a uh, hammer or a sword or whatever, a crown. It's not that at all. It's all about we become, you know, we look for holiness to become holy so that we can live in the attributes of God, the if you will, or the uh, fruit of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians, so that we can become these things and live these this way. When we do that, we're becoming like Jesus in the moral characteristics of, of God or Jesus. Okay, that's a good answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have another question for someone who watched a previous show. Uh, this person said, I enjoyed your discussion about developing a lifestyle of generosity, uh, your show with Roy Smith. Uh, please answer this. How can you give to those who won't accept your generosity? Well, that's a question that can't be answered, I think. It, that is really hard. I mean, all you can do, it's like asking forgiveness for somebody who won't forgive you. I mean, how do you get through this? I, I don't know if there's a really... Um, and there's probably smarter people to answer this than me, but I know that you can only do what God's asked you to do. And if he's asked you to give, then you give. If he's asked you to be generous, be generous. Um, if somebody is offended by this, then you need to do what you can without offending. I mean, it's just because what our responsibility is, is to love one another. And maybe before we can actually do some things of generosity, we need to pray for that person that God will speak in their heart that their heart will be soft. There's a lot of people who have hardened hearts that there's a lot of people who won't allow people in because they've been hurt. And because of that, there are walls and maybe there needs to be a wall broken down. And so instead of just worrying about giving and giving because they need, uh, work on breaking a wall down so that you can give. I mean, there's all kinds of things and I'm not sure what the situation is in this situation. I'm sure it sounds like somebody who's local here. But um, maybe Royce is a smarter person to talk to than me. And he's obviously, this is his passion about giving with generosity. And I think that, that when we want to give, we need to be careful that if it's somebody who's we're going to offend or hurt, we need to be sensitive to the fact there may be a wall, there may be a broken heart, there may be something that... That, uh, that needs to be taken care of first. When Jesus was here and he was here to give a message, he didn't just preach down their throat. And, you know, he, he saw that the people are hungry, let's feed them. So there might be something else going on that needs to be taken care of before that is actually given. Well, the way I look at this question, too, I'm thinking there might be some sort of a, a cultural block, too, because... Dep he does. The person asking the question doesn't define what type of generosity. If it's a generosity of money or food or some material generosity or generosity of time, uh, it's not defined. But some people, because of the culture, especially say a man in certain cultures, if he's unable to provide for himself or his family. He doesn't want to accept charity or generosity because um, it makes him feel like a failure. Years ago, um, 
there is a person it was a, I was in a singles group at the time and there was a single mother who couldn't afford much at all she had kids two kids and and basically barely feeding them um, she had no real support other than that and she needed help well I knew that she needed her lawn mowed and she couldn't do it herself the the, the grass was knee high literally and uh, she couldn't afford to pay somebody her kids were too young so Without her knowing that I did, I went and mowed her yard. And then she kind of figured it out and came to me and asked me if I did. And she said, I never asked you to do that. And she was upset with me. I says, well, I'm not asking for anything. I just felt like, you know, you couldn't do this. And it was really hard. And so I, I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to do it. And that was that. And I'm not asking for anything more. And she kind of was okay with that. But you could tell she had her feathers ruffled. So um, I don't think I could ever gone to her and say to her, hey, I'd like to mow your yard, that may not have gone over too well. So I just kind of found a different way to do it, and it, it works. And that's all I'm saying is we can figure ways to get around to bring the walls down and to help to become one. So. Okay. All right. We have another question. Uh, this person says, I have watched your videos about positive living and blessings through trials and suffering. And I just can't buy it or believe that these people can be joyful through their extreme struggles, pains, surgeries, cancer, etc. I live with debilitating pain from an accident, not of my doing, and I have yet been able to understand why God would do this to me or allow this to happen to me. Answers, question mark, question mark, question mark. Well, I know you have a really good response to this. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, your own example. <laughs> um, well, I know that to start off with, on the shows that we gave, the, we had um, we have two different shows. Didn't we? we had one with Scott Keppel. Right. And it was his daughter who got brain cancer when she was just a baby. And then we had Manny Diot, who mm -hmm. at seven years old got cancer and has lived with this in what, 50 different surgeries. And he had all these things going. He's got tremendous stuff. And um, you know these people as well as I do. And I'm sure you can attest that these people live a positive life. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they've taken lemons and made lemonade. Yeah. I know that Manny has told me. That, and he didn't say this on a show, I'm pretty sure, but he has told me, you know, he wakes up in the morning and he is in extreme pain every single morning. But you can't live like that all day long and all, all your life because all, you, all that will happen is your life won't go anywhere. And he's turned his life around and he's helping other people who have cancer. He's helping other people and families who have hurts and are dying and so forth. He's basically made, he's created this, uh, uh, the Ferrari Kid, which is a, a ministry for kids with cancer, which is the same ministry, that national one, um, Wish. Um, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Make-A-Wish Foundation. They do the same thing. And he's just turned it around. And he's done something amazing with this. And I think that you know, when you find this, you, you'll see that you can do things and make life good, I think as you help other people, I think happiness and joyfulness come because you help other people. When I look at Grace, Scott Keppel's daughter, you know, she's gone through chemo after chemo after chemo. And, and I remember when she lost her eye and she had, 
you know, all the, these surgeries or brain surgeries and so forth. I remember when she was a teenager, she said to her dad one time, and they had a, she had to have chemo again. She said, I'm not going to do it. And I was like, well, you know, you, that's not an option. Her dad says, that's not an option. You're going to have it. No, I, I'm done with this. I've had them 13 times. I don't want to do it again. And she just didn't want to do it again. Finally, she said to her dad, you know what? If you give me a dog, I'll do it again. Okay. So guess what? She got a dog. And I think that her her message to people, you know, even though she doesn't want to go through this stuff, she, I mean, she's graduated high school. She's done amazing. She's, you know, done some amazing stuff. And she reaches out to people to let them know that, you know, life is okay because, you know, you have the people around you that you love and they love you. And even if if life ends here, you're with Jesus. And her perception is that. So I think that it's it's all in perception. I know that when and you were saying about my situation and in my situation now I look at very minimal I mean I thought it was huge when I was younger I was going to be this great you know uh, sports player go to college and go on scholarship and so forth and I got my arm almost cut off and that totally stopped me and uh, then we uh, then I got this I was hitting the head with a baseball bat at eight years old 17 I had grandma seizures and that totally changed my life and there wasn't a pastor around that I would ask that would give me a decent answer. You know, well, this, why would God do this to me? My very question, why did God do this? Well, he didn't really do it to you. you know, maybe it was his permissive will. I know, that's a bunch of crock. I mean, give me a real answer. You know, and I, I never had a real answer. And then somehow I got shafted into going to Point Loma University, you know, because... I'm sure Lon pulled strings that I didn't know about. I ended up going to college. Well, when I talked to the chaplain, I mentioned this on my show before, and I asked him, and I told him, I'm upset because God let this happen to me, however he did it. And his answer to me just blew me away because of his own daughter. And I realized my problem was so insignificant compared to his and his daughter's. And when I looked at that and he said to me, don't ask God why this is happening because you'll never you'll never get an answer. You'll never get an answer because you you keep thinking that God's an evil God. He creates evil. He creates as well as good, and that's not God. And if we're looking at the problems in life, that look, woe was me. Look at this. Look at that. Oh, everything is bad around my life. You know, I mean, I was put on medication for over ten years. There were bar, such heavy barbiturates that I was manic depressant, uh, bipolar. And it destroyed a marriage of mine. It destroyed, you know, friends. It destroyed jobs for 12 years. It hurt relationships, you know, until I finally got off of that and got into something different. You know, I, I didn't know this was happening, but it happened. But I, I can't go back and say, you know, oh, I regret life because of this. I have to go on. And one thing that Reuben Welch told me was ask how God can use you with what you have. Well, I think the person asking the question who has the debilitating pain from the accident and feels that God did this to that person or allowed it to happen, I think some people maybe in their walk or through the church growing up, they seem to feel that if they are a good Christian, that is going to uh, allow them to go through life without the pain and suffering that others experience, and they might view this as an undeserved 
type of um, situation. So one thing I don't believe, and I hear it all the time from people, from Christians, I don't believe in the statement that's always said that everything happens for a purpose. God let this happen for a purpose. God does these things for a purpose or, or all this stuff happens for a reason. I think that's so bunk. It's so untrue. You know, I don't believe God lets or, or makes bad things happen so he can do good things. However, things happen to us that are bad. Things happen to us that are hurtful. You know, I can't believe that God wanted me to have be hit in the head and have this damage done to me. But I do believe that because this happened to me, that God wants me to focus on him and turn that around so that God can use what has happened to me for his glory and to honor him, which will help me be closer to Jesus. Well, I think uh, sometimes people who go through this situation, uh, they need to just, you know, step back and, you know, understand that this is just part of life. As Ray Jones, who was on your show before, I remember all the time he always said, it's not if you're going to be in the valley or something's going to happen. It's a matter of when, because no one is immune from something happening. And uh, those who haven't experienced it, you know, their day's going to come because we all go yeah. through something. And, and it, you know, iron sharpens iron. I mean, when things happen that are hard, you know, we, we need to stand up and and seek him and find out what is he wants us to do. I mean, we had that guy, Nick, who was born in Australia without any arms and legs, you know, and he wanted to kill himself. He wanted, he went through this. And finally, when he really got sight of Jesus, he's out traveling the world right now. He's married. He's got children. And he's got a positive voice for Jesus because he realized that, you know, it wasn't why did God do this, but how could God use me? And this is true with anybody. I really believe that. Next one. Okay, the next question is, God called me to ministry. I became missionary in my country. I live in Eastern Europe. The ministry keeps me so busy, I don't spend much time with my wife and children. My wife shows anger to me because I am so busy with ministry. I know you are a minister. So if God called me to ministry... Shouldn't my wife understand that God's calling is much important and support my calling? This is a real tough situation. Yes, when God calls you to the ministry, that that situation, that position, that area that God calls you to is, is highly important. But the Bible also teaches that our family is important and that we need to live in a relationship. If you're married uh, and you have children, then you have a ministry to your wife and to your children. And you cannot let one go just to do the other. You've got to balance it and you have to do them both. If you cannot do them both, then you probably shouldn't be doing the, the one that the ministry because you can't let your family go. That is so important that you love your wife. The Bible doesn't say love your wife unless you're a minister and you don't have time for her, so don't spend time with her. It doesn't say that. It says you need to love as Jesus loved her and present her a, a you know to Jesus without blemish. And how can you do that if you don't spend time with her? 
So there's a lot of areas here that, that teach that our family is utmost important. And I totally do understand um, that of a position in minister. I grew up and lived around ministers and, and, you know, who have children and people who have ministers who have lost their children to the world, uh, ministers who've had affairs because they don't spend time with their home. And I've seen ministers who spend time with their wives and their children and their children are amazing kids and they're loving Jesus and they're serving Jesus and their family, their wife and their situation is wonderful and they're doing good on both sides of it. You can't let one suffer for the other because if one does suffer and it falls, the other's going to fall. You have to balance it. You have to balance it. And I know that uh, if you know I'm a minister, you're probably in Moldova or Romania or somewhere like that because that's where I've taught. And, and, I, and I really believe that as a minister, your, your primary area isn't necessarily the church or the mission field. It's, it's in your home. You've got to have your home in order um, in order for you to have your ministry in order. And your home is your ministry. It has to be your ministry. Uh, the, the, the missionaries that, that you and I support, you know, we're very strong with that with those missionaries. When I tell them, you know, do you bring your wife flowers? Well, no, we can't afford them. Then go pick one. I mean, it's, it's not a matter of affordability. Do you go on dates with your wife? Well, no, we can't afford it. We'll take her out on a picnic. Go for a walk. You need that quality time. You need to spend time with your spouse. And it doesn't matter. It's not about money. It's about the quality time you take with them to show love and show the time you need to give like Jesus gave to his disciples. And when you could do that, then you have the support of your wife, you have the support of your kids, you're growing them in the Lord, and your ministry will be strong. If you don't do that, your ministry will never be as strong as it can be. I I think some people, whether it's a ministry or other work, feel that it's their responsibility to be spending that much time doing that, and that is a priority, but they do need to make their family a priority because yeah. without that, then they can't focus on their ministry or work as they need to. And I think that's why we get the old, the old adage about PKs, preacher's kids. Oh, yeah, they're hellions. Well, I, I'll bet you not everyone, but a lot of these hellion pre, preacher's kids, you know, if they are that, you know, go into their home and see. And I'll bet you their their father, their past, the pastor of that uh, their church probably doesn't spend the kind of time they need to in that home with them. You have time maybe for one or two more questions? Uh, probably one or two. We're almost out of time. Um, I Here's one that probably a lot of people have questions about. What do you think about healers and TV preachers who profit and get rich from their ministries? <laughs> well... I have a real hard time. Let me let me back up. We talked about gifts of the Spirit, okay? So those people who have gifts like healing or teaching or preaching, um, I, and I can't say this is true with all of them, but the ones that we're talking about, your TV evangelists or so forth, that are out there and they're profiting to such a degree that they're getting rich, and, and, and I've seen these faults, healers, these false teachers and preachers out there. I mean, 2020 had a whole segment on some of these and how they found them out. 
you know, how they were had their wives or spouses out there with microphones and they're out there saying things that were not because of God spoke to them, but because their wife told them through a microphone interviewing people. And I think that, uh, well, let me do it this way. When we go to Moldova and when I go there, um, I give these seminars and I give them seminars on relationships. And one year, this one particular missionary decided, oh, this is cool. There's a guy on YouTube who does these um, seminars on relationships. He's got a poll. I don't even know the guy's name we're talking about. He's got a, he's got a poll with a brain on it. And it's a woman's brain, another one with a man's brain on it. And he has this comedy thing. He's giving these um this uh, seminar thing, kind of, uh, in, in a way of, it's comical. But it's all about Bible teaching. Well, what this missionary did from Moldova, uh, is he wrote them and asked them, would they be interested in coming out and doing a missionary trip and, and sharing their, their word with them in Moldova? Now, mind you, Moldova, the people in the city make an average of $300 a month. People in the, in the Villages make about $50 a month. They're very poor. They're, in fact, they're the poorest country in all of Europe, Eastern and Western Europe. So they wrote back. This ministry in the United States wrote back and said, sure, we could do that. Uh, what you'll need to provide for us is five first-class tickets on an airline, you know, five uh, five-star hotel rooms in a hotel. We need to have, you know, X amount of, you know, car rentals and all these things like this, plus another $25,000, all equal to the amount of about $50,000. Now, these people can't afford this. This is a missionary, you know, from a poor country asking for a mission trip. Now, to me, I look at it as it's not about ministry. It's about profit. And I believe when your ministry becomes profit-oriented, that you're not really honoring the body of Christ. And the whole reason why we have these gifts, the only reason why we have healers is to honor the body of Christ, not their pocketbook. I have a real hard time with this. Uh, these guys getting rich, you know, and yet they're watching the people that are hungry, that are hurting, you know, around them because they're not caring. And I think that it's, it, they're going to answer for it. I believe that, you know, they're going to be held accountable for what they do and don't do according to what God has given them. I mean, I'm a, I have been given the gift of teaching, you know, and in this ministry, The Believer's Journey, I don't take a dime for salary. I do this because I believe that the body of Christ out there in the world need to have solid teaching from the word and, and explained and helped and understood so that we can all be one strong body worldwide. Now, that's important to me. Why is that important to me? Is because I'm honoring Jesus and I want him to be honored with this. And as I've gone over to Eastern Europe and I've gone over to other areas and I've seen people, I want them to, they're part of my family. They're part of the family of Christ. So therefore, that is what's important to me. When we go to Moldova, when my wife, when Susan and I go to Moldova, we don't even, we don't even uh, ask for money. We, we pay our own way to get there. You know, if we were given money by the church, we have anything left over from the gifts and the, the food and the what well, we we buy clothing. clothing and things like that. We take over. There's any money left over. We give them to the missionaries. We don't keep that. I mean, because it's all about ministry. When I would look at um, missionaries there who have camps, uh, KBC Ministries in in Moldova, and they have a campsite and they they have people there just to cover their costs. 
Where here, it's all about, you know, it's $400 to go for a, a fun trip. And they're, they're, they're trying to minister to bring people to Jesus. And I have a real problem with the, the profit end of this stuff. Because ministry, I mean, a ministry literally means servanthood. So if you're a minister, you're a servant. That's the literal meaning of minister. So if we're really in ministry, we should be serving, not letting those serve us. We're back to that thing again. Well, I think a lot of these people that they're asking about in the question, they're more into their celebrity status than they are their mission work. But I think you're out of time. I am. Okay. It's hard to tell. I don't have a clock. (laughs) Well, we thank you for joining us. And uh, it looks like we have a whole lot more questions. We might uh, do this again soon sometime. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, We will be back next week. Actually, I'll I'll be on the road, so I'll have a short little um, teaching uh, while I'm in between California and Texas. So you have a wonderful week. Aloha, and thank you. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.